0: Please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. There is nothing better than the feel of pen on paper. That little bit of resistance pushing back at me as I save my thoughts in a notebook. For years... I've looked to replicate that feeling on an iPad, but it's never really been the same, at least until I discovered Paperlike. The surface of the Paperlike is coated using nanodots, tiny microbeads that are designed to add superior stroke precision when you drag the Apple Pencil across the screen. The latest iteration of Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils that are designed for maximum picture clarity. These foils are developed exclusively for Paperlike products. Every Paperlike comes in a set of two, so you'll always have a spare in case you need to replace it. Within a few weeks of applying Paperlike to my iPad Pro, my Apple Pencil is getting more use than ever, taking notes, journaling, tapping through show notes, you name it. I feel like I'm realizing the true potential of the touchscreen without sacrificing my love of pen and paper. To pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com BGA, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size.
1: BoardGamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. This And this is episode 409, Board Game Basics, Collecting and Culling. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode, but especially our new backer, Rebecca. Thanks so much, Rebecca. You rock. All right, everyone. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Board Gamers Anonymous. I'm having a problem a little bit here with the actual title, I don't know if we have to run this by our producers. There's something about culling board games, Anthony. I, we don't. No, no, no. That's I, collecting. I get culling. I don't get why. Why is
0: that in? The, why is that in the title? Because they take up way too much space.
1: Whoa! But they're board games. They take up too much space. But, 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 but they're board games.
0: And it's I love board games. But here's the thing: like I was just cleaning out my basement because we had to get it fixed, and it, there's like. 50 boxes already. I just moved. I just culled a bunch of games, and then I'm cleaning out my basement, and I'm already like, how, how so many boxes of games?
1: Have so. you thought about making an extra room just built out of board games? I had one, but I had to clean it out so they could waterproof it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You could. I, I, think, I think board games make good structural integrity, maybe, possibly. I mean, they have a lot of bits in them. It's wood, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, no. I mean, but... <laughs> Water and wood is not great either. No, so.
1: not so much. So unfortunately, it seems like I'm going to have to talk about the most revolting thing in board gaming.
0: Well, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Would, I think it's cathartic if you do it well. That's why we're just discussing it so we can do it well. All right. So Anthony thinks we could do it well. So we can do it well. So
1: stick around for the feature <laughs> review. Uh, we're talking board game basics, we're talking about collecting board games, which we know everything about, trust us, because as Anthony said, his basement was just pure board games. Uh-huh. And culling board games, which Anthony's claiming is cathartic, but, you know, I don't know, seems, <laughs> seems made up. So I wouldn't blame you if you just wanted to put your fingers in your ear and go na 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 for that part. But nonetheless, I will try to talk him out of culling board games, but we'll get that to that in our feature review. But before we get into that, Anthony, there's so many things that's going on with BGA. Why don't you let us know?
0: Yeah. So uh, just a reminder for everybody out there, we got our Patreon up. We can back there at many different levels. Uh, but if you back at the $2 level, of course, you get access to the Discord. You get access to um, all of our bonus episodes. Or not our bonus episodes, our early episodes. If you get back at the $5 tier, you get access to all the bonus episodes, which are posted every week or two. Um We had, most recently, uh, Chris had a conversation with Jen uh, about starting board game groups.
1: Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of things to know, especially in this day and age when you want to put a group together. It's not just grabbing your closest friends. It's about trying to navigate a lot of the difficult and challenging processes as far as getting a public group out there. And there's just a lot of tricks and tips to kind of help guide you through all that, especially when you have to deal with outside venues. So I I think that above and beyond everything else is really the most helpful thing because just setting up a board game in a random place and thinking that you can play, it's not going to end well for you.
0: No. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So that's a lot of fun. Definitely check those out. We have a lot of special guests coming on with our Patreon episodes, especially. Um, And then my episode this week that I'll be posting is my top 10 from 2022. Some people have asked, why don't you guys do a top 10 list? I'm like, well, we've always done the awards and we do our recap, but I like to do just for my own purposes, like a top 10 list. Um, So I'm going to record a quick little episode so you can all hear what games that I thought were best last year. Um, But moving on to our feature presentation from the uh, Patreon account for the week, we have our question of the week. Question of the week! Question of the week! week! So how this works is we post this to Facebook and Twitter for everybody. Um, We get a bunch of answers and thank you to everybody who participates. Uh, but we also post it to our Patreon and our Discord, and we read through the answers on here, uh, the best ones that we pull out, and the best one each week will win uh, a prize. Woo-hoo! So we have some games uh, available that will basically just let you choose from what's available of the games, because we want to make sure it's not something you already have. Uh, because as we'll discuss in a little bit, collecting and culling, having an extra copy of a game is not good. That takes up space. Oh, come on, man. Nobody needs two copies of it.
1: But do they, but they do. Do they need several copies of Marvel United?
0: Well, yeah, because there are like five bucks. <laughs> you need the minis, you can paint them. Uh, all the right. Rest out, all so right. Much.
1: So I see. I see where this is going.
0: <laughs> uh, so this week we're gonna do. We have two questions related to collecting and culling that we've asked for the last couple of weeks. Um. We didn't do a contest last week because my internet was down and Chris didn't have the files. So he did not. Uh. So we're gonna do two this week, uh, and I will email the winners after the fact. But again, if you want to be part of the contest, if you're already answering these questions, you're like, I want to win stuff. Uh, If you back at the $2 level higher on Patreon, you can post your answer there or in discord and you're entered into the contest every week. And then you'll start collecting like we do. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Oh my God. Too much stuff. All right. So first up we had, what advice would you offer to new gamers about collecting and culling? So very simple. Um, It's kind of the question we're asking ourselves right now. So we're going to kind of, Kick things off here, and this will kind of guide us in our conversation later. Um, So Drew says, uh, one piece of advice for each. Under collecting, Rodney's video series on Am I a Collector is spot on. It is a hobby within the hobby. You may find more joy in game acquisition than actual game play. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. Yep. And then Cullen, he says, Marie Kondo's art of tidying up really applies here as well. Does it spark joy? If not, sell, trade, or give away to make someone's day y'all know we suck at that drew what are you doing
1: <laughs> i mean does she even have a board game collection clearly not i mean come on
0: <laughs> it would undermine her entire
1: life <laughs> she'd be like but but i don't know it doesn't fit into any category just she you know her brain would just pop because she's probably a robot but that's right. what insane.
0: um all right we have control Shift tome on the discord gives us four tips Ooh. we had a few people give us like four tips nice. so thanks everybody for the list um, number one, play the games your board game friends already own, especially if they have a large collection. A lot of good games that come out, especially in the last 20 years. Um, while there are lots of new games, you should find out what you like and what designers' genres you like before just picking up any old new game. Yes, yeah, don't just buy everything.
1: Yeah, I've had people over the years be like, weirdly enough, I've had somebody say, Oh, I really like this game, I'm glad you have it. I'll buy this when you leave. I'm <laughs> just like. Okay, I'm, I'm not planning to leave the group but all right I, I I'm not that's okay that's okay
0: yeah 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 I've, I've moved around so much in the last few years that I'm just like well I just buy anything that I'm interested in but that's you know for all the reasons we just discussed it's not necessarily a good thing to do true um, number two is used games are just as good as the new and shrink games sometimes even better than since they've been pre-sorted and have an insert yes um, so use a used market yes. Uh, Number three, FOMO sucks. However, see number one and number two. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. Uh, And number four, try to play a game before you buy it or at least watch a playthrough. Sure. Before buying a game, if possible, give it 24 to 40 hours before making a purchase. Okay. So give yourself a little time. Don't just avoid the knee jerks, I think is the advice there.
1: But I got to buy the game now. I know. (laughs) It'll never be available again.
0: Uh, adrian says this advice is for the new gamer who isn't part of a game group and is trying to get into the hobby on their own hoping to introduce their family and friends to modern gaming um uh, number one buy whatever game looks interesting to you it's hard to know just from watching videos if you're really going to like a game and you also need to find out if the people you're going to play with like it too sure number two try to play them right away so you can hone in on what you like and don't like to prevent purchasing similar games that you won't like uh, number three, once you have a decent-sized collection and you see a new game that is right up your alley, do you really need a, another game with the same mechanisms as what you own? Do you think you'll love it more than what you have? And number four, at the point when you are running out of space, be willing to get rid of a game that you don't that you like but don't love. Ooh. Uh, so he says, this, of course, is my story of game collecting. I did number one. Not number two and number four initially, <laughs> yeah. but I'm getting better at it. All right, now I hear you. Uh, so we got... Some broad advice there and then some advice just for new gamers. Um, if we head over to the Facebook page, uh, we have, and again, you can absolutely leave the answers to the question of the week here. Um, we have Tim Powell says, Board Game Arena is a great way to try out new games. The selection's gotten really large. True, true. Over the last few years. Uh, Josiah says, Physical Space of Games will provide a natural limitation. So know what that natural limitation is and build to that collection number. Um Matt says, find a reliable core game group and all buy certain games that you will always get to play together. Yeah. So kind of break it up. So you're only buying a quarter of the games. Uh, Carlos says, start slowly. I didn't. I bought all the games the first (laughs) and second year into the hobby. I kept looking at content creators' top 10 lists and buying the games before trying them. Everybody has different tastes that will not necessarily match yours. Sure. So lots of different angles to take here. We'll give you our advice here towards the end of the episode. But I guess the, the general takeaway is we all have thoughts on this because we've all had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. It it just needs to be, there needs to be some intentionality to it. Sure. If you're just buying things because they look cool and not thinking about it. Eventually, because this is what I did. Eventually your house is just full of stuff. And you're <laughs> like, crap. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think everyone really hit
1: on really good points here. And I think especially, I think one of the key challenges that a lot of gamers have is you know unless you're just looking to collect and there's again nothing wrong with that if it's the game that you're looking to get played or if the purpose of the game is to play it and you're thinking very reflectively about you know your game group your family what will they play what will they like um i think you got to be very careful not to buy games with them in mind you have to be happy with the purchase you make because inevitably you can't calculate if they're actually going to like it. Like right. you think they're going to like it, you put it to the table and it just doesn't
0: land for them or your game group. Right. Um, all right. So as a follow-on to this question, I asked if there's any, if there's a game that anybody has, that they will never remove from their collection. Ooh. Ignoring all rules. Cause there's always an exception to the rule. Can it be all the games? I mean, there was a couple answers that were all the games. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I didn't include those. Cause I mean, they're funny, but there's like, yeah, no, I get it. I feel <laughs> you. <laughs> um, all right, so heading on over to the Patreon, we've got Christopher says, so yes, several, LOL. Um, while I have some games like Catan and Flashpoint Fire Rescue that hold a special place in my heart for getting me into gaming early on that I will not let go of, I also have ones that have cost me too much money and or time to collect to turn around and get rid of them now. Sure. Um, mentions Legendary Marvel and all its expansions, Marvel United with several expensive Kickstarters, um, the full Marvel Zombies Pledge, which hasn't even gotten yet, but not getting rid of that. Wow. Yeah. Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid um so basically that i went all in and i'm not backing down right? <laughs> stubborn kickstarter backer mm-hmm. um drew says the epic games war room ti4 rebellion war of the ring sure so memories make up for the infrequency of play uh, robert says too many bones so we acquired it acquired it from the demo shelf at a game store where we bought the well-used copy for only ten dollars less than msrp because we were so desperate to find a copy my partner i spent many hours playing the game during the pandemic and have many fond memories of fighting baddies and then rebecca our new backer uh, joined this this week uh, ticket to ride uh, i'm new oh. to the board gaming hobby and it's the game that made me realize how much i love gaming i've since expanded my collection of board games including more ticket to ride expansions however the base game of ticket to ride is my all-time favorite and i will never get rid of it excellent yeah so i have a bunch of these <laughs> um i think i fall into chris's camp christopher camp here um who mentioned all their kickstarters because i have a bunch of kickstarters where i look at them and i'm like i'm never gonna play this because i have like six of these now but i can't bring myself to get rid of it sure um arcadia quest is a good example for me because two reasons one i just have all the stuff and they're like i'm gonna paint these someday and two is i got rid of all the expansion boxes and kind of like organized <laughs> it into like the big boxes but if i tried to sell it now i'm just be like here's a box of plastic here's a box do yeah. you want a box of plastic that's a little scratched up? sure <laughs> um i was like i regret that because i was trying to save space obviously that didn't help but and then i do have like my my giant stupid copy of kingdom death monster which i've (laughs) still yet to uh, even build let alone play but i was like i got it really cheap yeah and it's it would cost me a hundred dollars to ship it at this point sure i'd have to like find somebody down the block who wants it if i wanted to sell it
1: yeah of course
0: i guess for me there i mean there are a lot of games that
1: just have not got gameplay and i don't think you might ever get gameplay again so star trek attack wing was a game that played i guess just even before the podcast started or around that time so we're talking about something 10 years ago i had put together a great meta had put together a bunch of fleets had picked up stuff i guess initially over msrp because that tower store was charging for them and then eventually purchasing some of the just the random ships in that Deep Space Nine show genre. I wasn't really purchasing stuff as much outside of that, unless it was on sale. So like, it's a collection of stuff that like I paid too much money for and never will see the money back paid so little money for it that I might as well keep it. And then stuff that just has sentimental meaning to me. So I think that's always going to stay in my collection, even though they've, I think they've come out with a second wave with different rules and, and all the fixes that they really should have had in the initial run. I think X-Wing miniatures are kind of the same thing. They've done new rules, second edition. I have the ships that I have. I'm keeping them. I'm not going to buy the other stuff, but I'm always going to keep them. My small world collection, I bought a whole bunch of really cool, you know, Plano-esque kind of boxes. It's, it's I think they're just like toolboxes where I have all the different races in there. And I have good memories of it, and also, I've collected so much of it, and it's kind of uniquely stored, that I think I'm always going to keep it, even though it's
0: relatively challenging as far as the physical space is concerned. Yeah. No, it's, I think anything that we've altered in any way, right? Yes. Like, I have a copy of My Mystics, My kids aren't really interested. I thought they'd want to play it someday. Yeah. It's, it, it doesn't click for them, but I painted the whole thing. Sure. Right? So I'm like, I'm never getting rid of that. I painted it. It's the only game I finished painting, so I'll never get rid of it. <laughs> Um, All right. So who do we think uh, we have our our question about collecting and culling in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have what you will never remove from your collection. Who who are getting our prizes this week? What do you think?
1: Well, I I really like Rebecca's response because it seems the most mentally healthy. Um, Just the idea that you find a base game. Yeah. And then once you find the base game, you wisely purchase the expansions to make that initial original experience better. Yep. I think is probably the best way to go. And as someone who loves expansions, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Sure. Um, as far as like, I think the collecting, calling—we'll talk more about it—is about just staying, just staying in a straight line. I think that helps too. That's really hard to do in this industry. There's so many amazing games and different titles and things like that.
0: But I think if you build straight, I think that helps a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and then I'm going to say on the clicking and culling, I like Adrian's advice just like for new gamers. Yeah. Again, like getting in. Absolutely. Uh, like having a direction, having a strategy, not just buying whatever comes up because sure. that's what happened to us. Wait a minute. <laughs> and then, yeah. <laughs> and then you end up with like 800 games from like two years and you're like, well.
1: And a podcast for 10 years. Yeah. So, <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> we have to justify these expenses to somehow folks. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't sound. I don't know. Thanks for yeah. helping.
0: <laughs> Um, all right, so Rebecca and Adrian, I'm going to reach out to you. Congratulations, you are our winners this week. Um, and again, if you want to back on Patreon, you can answer the questions there. We will also read your answers out if you back uh, respond on Facebook. But uh, you have a chance to win something, prize from one of our partners, Yay! a game from one of our collections, uh, games. Prizes, dice, lots of cool stuff. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And again, thank you all for submitting your responses on Facebook, Twitter, and Patreon. It makes the podcast and the community grow. It's so wonderful to learn from all of you and to share that kind of information so that we can make our gaming time so much better. And speaking of which, we talked about this last week when I had Will on, uh, Board Game Academics. So that is our academic journal, So for many people who reached out to us and was like, huh, academic journal. So that, I'm not a journalist. I'm not an academic. So I don't know too much about that. We would love to hear from you directly because a lot of people, just like we heard today, have a lot of great takes on board gaming. We would love to hear that in a more of a written form and we can help you with that process. So uh, reach out to us, Chris at BoardGamersAnonymous.com or Anthony at BoardGamersAnonymous.com and we'll help you you know, work out the basics of the process. We really appreciate you sharing that information for other people so that we can get you know, summaries of what they're thinking about, what's going on with the hobby or a specific board game, and then putting together a great paper to share with everyone to let them know about the greatness of gaming in a different context. So thanks again for everyone there. All right, everyone. So that's everything that's going on with us. Let's get on to what's
0: happening in board gaming, Anthony. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. Alrighty, righty. Uh, first up for me, we have the recently announced Lord of the Rings adventure book game. Um, we have a couple new Lord of the Rings games coming out here this year. Uh, and this is the one coming from Robinsberger using their adventure book system, which they previously used for Princess Bride. Um, inconceivable. Man. Inconceivable, apparently. <laughs> I guess it's not inconceivable. No, because they did. it. <laughs> um, so the, the way these work is they break the, the game quote unquote, down into different chapters that are experienced over different pages within this adventure book, right? We've seen this from a bunch of different developers and publishers sure. in recent years. Um, some of them are much bigger, like Jerry Hawthorne's with like stuff fables. Um, some are much simpler, more family oriented, like Robinsburgers. Um, but you get like little puzzles and challenges on each page that you need to complete to move forward with the story. So the mechanics are not like strictly the same on every page, sure. but it is cooperative. So it is definitely designed for family gaming. Um, it's Ravensburger. Most of their stuff's family gaming. Oh yeah, uh, almost I, I, everything, pretty much. Yeah, so it's Lord of the Rings, which is awesome. The yes. theme, the, just the theming alone, is makes me interested. Um, my son's actually really into Lord of the Rings now. I got him to watch these movies over the holidays. Um, my daughter a little less so, but maybe this can help kind of push her towards it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, so like twenty minute chapters, which means the whole game takes maybe three hours, four hours to get through. That's perfect for, like, having kids. I know, like, the gamers out there, like, only three or four hours of gameplay. But <laughs> as a dad, I'm like, yes. Because, like, we're, like, grinding and dragging our way through Jurassic World Legacy because those are long games, and there's a bunch of them. <laughs> so um, short and quick is great. Uh, the, I don't know if they've announced when this game is coming, necessarily. Uh, but usually once they announce it, it's, it's coming pretty soon, it's probably coming to big box stores because Robinsberger has, um their agreements so yeah someone here on board game geek says february at target oh so here in the next couple weeks i will pick up a copy i will play with my kids i'll let you all know what i think
1: remember when board games were not popping out at big box stores and now it's kind of the standard i know i I don't know how to feel about that yeah (laughs) it's 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 reassuring because now when you talk about things you don't have to point to some really obscure website to your friends to try to find that game. They're like, Oh, that was fun. Where can I get that? And you're like, uh, www my board games are the most best all time hipster 2.0. I'm just like, uh, natural just go target. It's, it's there. Yeah. So, but then again, now they're just like packaged, like, you know, sliced bread. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. but yeah, more board games, the better. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk about something that, you know, again, One of the things I did not mention as far as something I will always collect is my Seven Wonders collection. My Seven Wonders collection has been with me for a very long time. I purchased one of those early wood inserts and the metal coins, and the metal coins at great expense, at like ridiculous expense because I won't mention the company offhand, but like they're like, there's enough coins to play the game. And I'm like, no, no, there's not because it's a game of Seven Wonders. So you could have up to seven players. And then at some point we had to use like the the tokens, which was just ridiculous. But now that I purchased way too much of that stuff in the wood box, it is incredibly ridiculously heavy, but beloved, as always, beloved. So they came out with a new expansion. Obviously, this new expansion is not meant for the original Seven Wonders, but the second edition, and I do recommend the second edition. I think the second edition is so much cleaner, streamlined, and a little more balanced that I think it's definitely worth picking up, and we've talked about this before. So in the first edition, they had an expansion called Babel. Babel was an expansion that had... Um, basically two expansions one was what was like called major works where you put this big giant cardboard little i don't know image on on the table where something's being built and then everyone at the table throughout the game instead of playing to their wonders or cards or things like that they could choose to build that one that great work and basically whatever the cost is you do that and now you're in in that work. What If everyone builds it, if it's able to be completely built, then the people who built it get a bonus. If it's not built, the people who did not build it take a negative. So it was kind of like a really weird push-your-luck kind of situation. And then there was the Babel board, which gave you bonuses playing during the game. So I guess the Wonders at Seven Wonders decided to kind of re-implement, redesign that. So no more babble Board, which is kind of sad because I, I did like that kind of option to it. Seven Wonders Edifice uh, gives the opportunity again for players to build these great works. If you build them and it get, comes out, you get rewarded. If you don't build them and it doesn't get built, you take a penalty. So there'll be 15 of these big cards that hit the board, one for each of the ages, players will be able to build towards them again and then take a bonus or take a negative throughout the game. It's basically Babel, but without Babel, it's the same thing as the Great Works. There's some really nice pieces that come along with it. So I think it's an interesting kind of expansion. There's little different archways and it gives you two additional wonders to add to the game. So this seems like a really good expansion considering. And again, there's very few games in my collection my extensive collection that i'm willing to buy a second edition and all the second edition stuff for seven wonders happens to be one of those so i'll be picking up seven wonders effortless
0: yeah that's great i never actually played babel um I, i got armada but i skipped babel for some reason so i'll have to play this when you get it
1: all right so that's everything for acquisition disorders now to the games that hit our table anthony let's talk about our at the
0: table yeah so uh We've been playing a bunch of games lately, which is good. Yes, because, shout
1: out to Drew and our good friend Fed.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's, it, it's weird to finally get games to the table in a way <laughs> at a consistent pace um, after three years, of not. So, yes. We have lots of reviews in the next few weeks. So it's going to be weird. Uh, first up on the list, we have Lacrimosa, though. This is a game from Devere Publishing, designed by Gerard Asenshi and Ferran Renelius. Uh, it's about... Right after Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart died. Um Spoiler. Was... Spoiler, man. Oh, man. Sorry. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, That's <laughs> a good movie. You should watch it. But, I mean, you know the ending now. <laughs> I'm <it a> <laughs> not going to watch it now. <laughs> so the last thing he was working on before he died was the lacrimosa movement of his requiem. Right? Uh And you now have to come in as one of his sponsors and try to work to get it completed. Mm-hmm. Um so we're funding the works and also working with other composers to try to complete this last Requiem. Um, the game itself does lean into a lot of these thematic elements. Uh, in certain ways it could do more, but there are a lot of elements here that kind of draw on um, uh, Mozart's life. The structure of the game is broken down into different um Rounds And each of those rounds are going to have different cards in it, which is broken down into a deck. So the cards get progressively more powerful. Um, this is important because the cards you have in front of you uh, will do one of two things, right? So you start the game with nine cards in your hand. And on your turn, you're going to play one card to the top of your player board and one card to the bottom. The top card is going to show the actions that you can take. The bottom one is going to show the income that you get at the end of the round. You can upgrade these cards, though and they get progressively more powerful. So by the end of the game, you're getting like multiple actions for the action cards and a whole bunch of income for the bottom part, right? So you have to strategically decide when you're gonna upgrade those cards. In terms of the actions themselves that you take, you have, again, you can upgrade those cards. You can purchase a new one from the Tableau. Um, You can purchase a performance card, which allows you to perform music um, in different settings. And you get different rewards for doing that. You can also sell the music if you want and get even more rewards for doing that. Um, you can travel around Europe. So you're going around and you're trying to push out um, Mozart's work and help kind of uh, basically Europe, his PR man is hype, um, <laughs> hype man. Hype man? Hype uh, man. <laughs> and so each of these actions costs something. And there's three different resources that you can be spending as well as, as uh, money. So as you move around, you will need to for the movement part, you need to spend money to move between the different locations, but then you also need to spend little red wheels. Um, And I can't remember what the three things are. There's red, white and black, but they represent different parts of of Mozart's life. Um, But then you can take these different tiles. And so if you take the small tiles from the towns, then you can take the action on them. Mm -hmm. And you have the larger tiles from the capitals and these will give you end game scoring opportunities. So you keep those tiles in front of you. Um, You also have the composition box at the bottom of the board where you will uh, basically fulfill different requirements of the different composers into the different movements. There'll be two composers each round or each game. And then you will spend stuff and take one of the tokens off your board, place it into a location and get a reward for that. And so you do all these different actions. You're trying to manipulate and organize everything so that you're scoring points based on you know, majorities down on the composition track, the different end game scoring cards you have, your opus cards, um, points you score throughout the game for performing and various other things, um, and just making sure your deck is as efficient as possible. Uh, mechanically speaking, the main thing that really drew me to this game is the take two cards every turn and s- slot them in and have to manipulate and manage that, right? It's, it really depends, like, what types of actions you want to take, what direction you want to go, What you think is going to come out is the bonus actions and the bonus tiles each round. Um, And so overall, the game ends up feeling very streamlined and a little tight in terms of action economy. Like you get to do a lot of things. You have a lot of options. At any point in time, you can probably do any of the actions based on the cards in your hand. But you really need to balance it out. Make sure you're upgrading your deck as you go so that you have more action efficiency later, but also make sure you have enough income as you go so that all those extra actions you've just programmed into your deck, you can actually complete. Because um, if you don't follow that balance, you can easily get to a point where you either have not very good cards or very good cards and not enough resources. Um, overall, I really enjoyed it. Uh, when I first played this game, it like knocked my socks off. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> uh, playing it at two later, I, I don't think it works perfectly at all player counts because the board doesn't really adjust much to lower player count. Sure. Um. So it's not as tight as it needs to be. This game needs to be tight, I think. So yes. I think three or four players is ideal. Yeah. Um. The solo mode is fine, but you definitely, the two player was not probably the best way to play the game. So overall, it's a play for me. It's a strong play. Um. I still picked it up and I've recommended it to other people. Sure. Um, the reason I say it's just a play is that, the variability is really dependent on the cards that come out. Yes. Uh, if you have similar bonus actions or you have similar cards coming out, you maybe don't get that sense that you're building out this asymmetrical engine that yeah, you course. otherwise might. Um, but mechanically, I really did enjoy it a lot. It's just faded a little bit for me after you know four or five plays now um, from where I started. So it's like one of those things like, I love this mechanic. This is amazing. And then after <laughs> playing it a few times, you're like, it's getting a little samey. So I'm actually glad I waited to review this as long as I did, because I think if I'd reviewed it after the first play or two, I'd be like, bye, it's amazing. Um, (laughs) I'm still happy to own it. And I'm still, I'll stand by my recommendations to people, but it's not, you know, it's not the second coming of board gaming either. So good stuff.
1: I was really excited when this came out and Devere has been doing, you know, a better and better job each time they release games. And this was just a gorgeous game, amazing artwork, probably, in the future, we'll see this as, like, one of the best covers for a board mm, game so beautiful. in, like, forever. I, I think that was the one thing that just, like, knocked me off my socks right off the bat. And then the, the game itself, the artwork, the graphic design was very smart and streamlined. I love the the tucking of the cards. Yeah. I think that's a lot of fun. and just The, the best part of the game. Yeah, multi-use cards is just, you got me. It's a multi-use <laughs> card game. Love it, love it, love it as you mentioned maybe with the player count but what happens is in part the board as far as the movement's concerned there are just some areas where the bonuses happen to be better you yeah. know than others and then movement is not the easiest thing to do
0: but also it's just like i get this i get that you know it just become the problem we had when the one time we played two players is that all the stuff that came out and up being something either one of us could use so it just basically took that action off the board we're like well there's no reason to do that <laughs> You need a third or fourth player to kind of go through and cycle that.
1: Yeah. And that's the and that's it 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 suffers from just which most games do suffer from, like just deck problems. Yeah. So if you need to build a certain thing, in this case, if you need to match up to certain card symbols, and those symbols are just not available because of many reasons. They might be on the bottom of the deck, they might have gotten cycled out, maybe someone took them, then you're just spending the whole game with like, I have this bonus thing that does this thing, but I'm not getting this thing. And then even when you do, which I think I had one of those cards where every time I, I completed a card of that certain symbol, then it was one of those situations where it's like I wasn't getting as many points as I felt. Right. And then as much as I love the, the different mechanics of the game, it never felt as thematic as I wanted it to be because it just felt like you were pulling cards in, putting cards out, taking resources in and out. I didn't really feel like I was really writing and participating in that kind of meaningful way. That being said, the artwork and the graphic design did literally everything they could yeah. to kind of make that happen. And again, it's not an easy theme to kind of translate into a board game necessarily, but uh, yeah. beautiful.
0: I think they did an okay job with the theme, but there are parts, like you said, where it just doesn't quite come through. Yeah, it just, and I'm, it's hard. And it's one of these games, like, we, we'll talk about this later with collecting. The theme is unique enough that yes. even if the game was like a meh for me, and it's not, it's like an eight. I give this an eight, which is sure. not quite a buy, but it's up there. um, I will keep it. Like if this was a seven, I would still keep it, even though that's like usually my threshold for getting rid of stuff. I, but the theme, like you because said, because of is, the theme, it's unique. And because I do like playing it by myself too. Like it's sure it, there's a lot here to really like, it's just, yeah, for me, it doesn't for, quite come together. Perfectly. For me, it's, it's a, it's a play. It's
1: a light play. It's, yeah. it's if you're going for an eight, it's for me, it's probably a seven. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the theme is unique. The artwork, the graphic design is great. Uh, the note little, Pieces in here are fantastic. So, um, if this is the theme that really does it for you, um, or if you just want to check out a really cool, interesting game, yeah, absolutely. All right. Next up for me, Anthony's a game that we got a chance to play. It's a two-player card game. Surprisingly enough, from Scott Alms. That's not tiny and/or epic in I any way.
0: That's <laughs> just like what? Who? Where? The thing is, I saw this game and I heard about it a bunch. I didn't realize it was him until I had it in my hands. I was like, oh, skull. There's
1: there's no meeples in it. There's nothing (laughs) extraordinarily tiny or big. It is a
0: tiny game. It is a
1: tiny game. It's not tiny. I I, want to be fair because even their tiny games have never really been tiny, but it's a small box, two player game called Beer and Bread from Capstone Games. This is, again, you know, I just said it, it's a multi use card game for two players. So, Primarily, the game kind of kind of circles around <laughs> utilizing the cards in a bunch of different ways. So the cards themselves have a lot of different actions that you can kind of take advantage of. So there, you're going to be able to take advantage of the harvest action. You play a card, and basically all you're doing on your turn is playing one card. So in the first phase where everything's fruitful and abundant, you take a card, you play it, and then maybe you'll take the harvest action where you get the resources, the water, and the, and the grain and everything else. And then throughout the game, as you continue to take that harvest action, again just playing the card on top of the other card, if you're taking something of the same type, for example, water, and there was water in the other card previously, you get additional water. So you get to store up all of these goods because eventually, what you want to be able to do is the other part of the card, which is actually bake the bread. By having the ingredients, no kind of fancy way up beyond it. Just have the ingredients available, which will pull off your storage area. Or be able to brew beer. Again, just pulling off the ingredients off the board. And then finally on the card, you do have a special ability that you can put, tuck underneath the board, which is a little awkward, but you can tuck it underneath the board. That allows you to clear out your previous brewing and baking and allows you to gain a special ability throughout the game. So in those fruitful rounds, we're drafting back and forth. And I like that. But it does have a little memory thing because mm-hmm. will you get that card? Like I know that there's a really great bread card out there and I know what I need for it. So I start building for it. But will I, Will it be available for me mm-hmm. when it comes back around? Now, Anthony could take that card and just basically use it for something else. And now I just built a bunch of resources. That being said, I never really felt pain by any of the decisions I made because so many of the ingredients for both the bread and the beer were somewhat similar enough that I was always able to do something. It was never really that restrictive or I could tuck the card for a special ability. During the dry periods, you just play what you have in your hand, which I also like too because now you get to really focus. So you could play the fruitful period just to gain a lot of resources and the dry period you could just produce a lot of things. Uh, You know, what's interesting and challenging about the game is at the end of the game, once all the rounds have come and gone, it's your lowest score is your score. So if you, by chance, are brilliant but are half asleep and you just build (laughs) a bunch of bread because bread's awesome. Who doesn't like bread? Bread, bread, bread. I guess people who have, you know, gluten issues i don't like bread no it's all all right right. (laughs) you would like bread especially the one i make but yes if you build a lot of bread but don't build the beer or build very little of it then that beer is going to actually be your final score so you really have to balance the bread and the beer which does make a lot of sense as far as the fields are concerned i was incredibly shockingly surprised by this game it was fun quick and easy to play uh this gets a buy for me right off
0: the bat yeah, the, the the thing about this game that's interesting is, like you said, there's the fruitful and the dry years. I think that's the main thing here. Yes. The multi-use cards is important, but like that's the main thing because at first it seems like weirdly clunky. Yeah, you're like, okay, now we're drafting and now we're not, but we have this exchange opportunity. <laughs> yeah, but there's a rhythm and a flow to it, right? Because in the dry years there aren't as many resources to harvest. So what you really want to do is like balance out, harvest a bunch, or at least spend half your actions harvesting in the in the fruitful years, fill up your supply area when you harvest in with one of those cards, you're going to get that card back in the dry year. So then you can plan for things a little bit better instead of being like, you took my card, you took my card again. (laughs) Right. Um, And then the balance thing where you can't, again, you can't just go with bread or you can't just go with beer. You have to balance the two out and try to make sure like looking at them repeatedly and making sure like how many points I got in this one. Oh, I should do this one. now. Um, Totally agree. Like a lot of interesting decisions, always interesting decisions. And the game only takes like 30, 45 minutes. Yeah. Like, I love that. And it's so hard to do well. I think I own like two or three of these. I have Watergate. I have Caverna, um, the Age of Iron or whatever yes. it is. Uh, and then now this. It's yes. like light two-player Euros that you complete in less than an hour. And you can play it multiple times in a row and it's great. So yeah, game, I'm with you. It's a buy.
1: Yeah, this, this is a game you can tremendously dive into because you can really take your time to think out the different steps. And like, I play these cards in a season, they'll come back into my hand and they'll be about like, there's ways to like really, you know, pull a lot of, you know, flavor out of this game. It's a lot of fun. So yeah, that's beer and bread. All right, Anthony. So now on to our feature reviews. So our feature review this week is board game basics. We are talking about collecting and I guess the dreaded,
0: culling? Can I burn? Can I burn the culling? Is, is the culling <laughs> a burn? Is,
1: is that what you're trying to say here?
0: It, there's something cathartic about it. I'll, I'll, I'll Just let me sell it, man. <laughs> you can sell me anytime you want. I'll take
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So again, we've been in the hobby for quite some time. We're kind of unique in the hobby because we do the podcast. So yeah. um, we want to talk about this in a way that's meaningful for the general audience and not two crazy guys who actually need to be doing this right because we're we're slightly askew just saying for a lot of reasons for a lot of things but board gaming in of itself has a lot of different opportunities of enjoyment and they're not just one thing so obviously the most obvious one of course is playing the board games well yeah and i think
0: we've talked about that for a couple years a few a few not quite a decade um (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a funny thing. And there's been a conversation going on on BoardGameGeek lately uh, about this and Reddit as well of collecting itself can be a hobby, yes. right? But there's like a weird stigma to it in board games because the games are designed to be played, yes, right? People collect action figures, people collect baseball yeah. cards. I collected baseball cards for years. Yeah, You don't do anything with those. You don't even really look at them. Like once you get a good card, you put it in a fancy case, you send it off to get graded, then you put it in a dark room somewhere so that it doesn't degrade. <laughs> Um, you know you have it and that's about it. Sure. You maybe display it. Board games, for whatever reason, when you buy one and you put it on the shelf and you know you're probably not going to play it but it's hard to find and you're happy to own it, you get a little bit of guilt. Yeah. And it's not always internal. A lot of it's like this conversation we have, like shelf of shame, like things you bought and never played. And, you know, a lot of us have been trying to change the shelf of opportunity. Sure. Uh, I would say we don't need any of that it's just your collection of games, Yeah. right? Like I own, well, until they went crazy on Kickstarter, I owned every stuff on Feld game. I don't even <laughs> like all those games. Yeah. There's like three or four I don't like, but I was like, I have them all. It's cool to see them all on a shelf next yeah. to each other. That was a collection decision. Yes. I wanted to collect those. Yes, um, I've now made a decision to stop doing that because it's going to cost me a fortune. But Because <laughs> they're charging so much. But it's not, you know, collecting... Is itself a separate hobby and that's okay but at the same time it needs to be intentional because when you collect things you don't just go out like if you're collecting coins you don't just go out and pick up every coin off the ground <laughs> or go to the atm take out a hundred dollars and ask for you know ten thousand pennies you have to be intentional about what you're trying to do and so sure. that's that's the hard part i think
1: yeah i think as you mentioned i think there are some I guess, closely aligned situations where people may talk about fine instruments, you know, and musical instruments, of course. And, like, they, they put them in a glass case, right? So, yeah. you have these beautiful violins, Stradivarius, of mm. and just, like, no one ever plays them because they're so delicate and wonderment and stuff like that. And... It's that, art. Yeah, it's art. It's art, it's beauty, it's craftsmanship, it's, it's observable. And as you mentioned, we've had a lot of hobbies, like you said, whether it's a baseball card, it's comic books, or models or any kind of collectible you know thing funkos you see a lot these days where they're just like stolen the boxes and even grandpa's kid like once i guess once parents realized that things were collectible and worth money it was no longer about like toys being toys but like keep, keep it in a box and put it on a shelf i think i had a cousin who had like cabbage patch kids you know in a break front that were just on the box never got a chance to play with it and that's that's it's a shame for a kid but you own it. And I guess like figures, like you said, action figures is one of those kind of things where it moved from playing to collecting because when things get played, this is the thing that people don't understand with collecting and why things are valuable. They're valuable because people did play with them so much that they don't retain their value, so to speak. And there's not as many of those available. So like baseball cards back in like the thirties, forties and fifties, because of like, paper shortage and like my uncles I remember told me stories like oh we used to have like you know you know Willie Mays card or you know favorite like all these kind of cards and like they just didn't think of it
0: yeah yeah no it's, it's funny like my son just came to the realization because we've been buying him Pokemon cards since he was like four. <laughs> oh right?
1: no we're going there yeah <laughs>
0: so he's got some cards that are like 10 years old yeah some of them if you look them up on eBay are valuable <laughs> and I've had to explain to him like your card is not valuable because it's bent or yes. it's ripped or you've been playing with it or has food on it. Like, and he has plenty of cards that are in perfectly fine condition and they maybe do have some value. Right. But I'm like, the cards you're seeing on eBay immediately came out of a pack, went into a sleeve, maybe got graded. Like, this is just how the collection, like, it's dumb. I agree. And it's cool to have it and be like, this is valuable. Even if I can't sell it, Yeah, that's a fun thing. But if you think you can go sell that, that's, it's a gut check because you've used it and it's good. You used it because that's why we bought it for you. Sure. And if you want to buy things now and take care of them for collecting, that's also fine. Yeah. But there is that realization I think we all have as children at some point where you're like, oh, this thing that I thought was worth something that I just discovered it's not worth anything because I've like, it was stuck in my shoe for three days or whatever.
1: Yeah. And I think too, we we should say, right. So when when we're talking collecting, we want to really say collecting in the sense of like, we, I think you mentioned this, Anthony, about the intentionality. We want to collect things because we find value in them for us, right. and collecting based upon is it is it financially valuable? That's a whole separate thing. You can collect because things are worth money, and then trade or sell them or keep them forever, but yeah. that's not necessarily
0: one and the same, right? I would call that speculating, more yeah than collecting. And right. I know, like for some people, that's one and the same. Yeah, but for me, I don't. I can't think like that because if I think like that, I get really stressed out.
1: Well, that was the thing too with board gaming that. I have a bunch of different collections as far as I mentioned, like even Small World, which is a silly thing, which collecting the expansions, but it's collecting. yeah. And even like the little miniature games that you and I have played over the years, it's collecting, right? We collect all the different figures and things and the, being a completionist, which we've talked about for many years does bring, or we should say sparks joy, yeah, right? brings us some level of, of joy and happiness. And I think that has a lot of value. Because especially if we're talking board games, especially right now, they don't cost. And again, depending on your situation and and the world and everything else, as much as, like you said, maybe a case of like Pokemon cards, which can go for tens of thousands of dollars in in some cases. And again, we're collecting a hobby that does have a second level to it. Like a baseball card, like you said, what are you going to do with it? Well, you look
0: at it. You can look at a board game, but you can also play a board game. Well, that's the thing, I think, if we're going to talk about collecting, and you you make the perfect point, a good definition of, you collect it because it has value to you. Yes. But we all have different ways we value things. Yes. Right? So don't let other people tell you what's valuable. You get to decide yes. what's valuable. So maybe you want all the Stefan Feld's games, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nope. Even if people make fun of you for collecting Bruges when you burned it on the podcast.
1: <laughs> I love Bruges, my favorite game of all time.
0: <laughs> I, I bought that game because my local game store had it sealed on the shelf, and I knew it was out of print, and I was like why am I doing this? Yeah, It's because it's the one I don't own. Yeah, I hate this game. <laughs> oh, I love that game. <laughs> um, but like I buy games because I want to paint them. Right. Sure. Like you mentioned my four copies of Marvel X-Men United. Yeah. I buy extra copies because I get extra copies of Wolverine and I can practice different paint jobs yeah, yeah. on them. It was seven Makes bucks, sense. whatever. Um, <laughs> I buy games because I want to play them. I buy games because maybe I'll play them someday with my kids. Sure. I buy games because they look pretty. Like I have the collector's edition of Goo Gong with the expansion stuff. And, like, that game is fine and I like yeah, it, but yeah. paying all that extra money for it was, like, because it's very pretty on my shelf. Sure. Right? Um. So there's a lot of reasons. You just have to decide what your reasons are. We can't tell you what they are, but we. it's, it's up to each individual to decide, like, this is the reason why I want to own things and then be intentional about it from there.
1: Yeah, and I think from from some level of, like, psychological well-being, yeah, it's taking the time to really reflect upon what is valuable for you. So your yeah. collection might be valuable because your family plays it right. or because it brings you attention at game night with other people or because you have good memories of it or because you think you will, <laughs> or again, like you said, a certain designer or collector and, and the industry kind of plays into this too. A lot of, a lot of board games have like a collection or they're numbered or they're bookshelves where there's right. like back to back kind of situation. So like, it's a work of art. You can yep. hang it on a wall keep it on a shelf. Or it's, you know, again, depending on, like, it's a, it's a conversation piece. In right. fact, a lot of those super big wooden board game things are not meant for, like, regular play, but yeah. it's one of those situations, like, way back in the day, the Franklin Mint used to have these wood golden kind of editions that were, like, $1,000 and they were insane. But what was it? It was Monopoly and Clue, right? Like <laughs> No one's playing those. No. But I, I do think the challenges come in as far as, like, why you're collecting them because i know that like board games the other side of it is they're incredibly delicate because it's just it's very thin cardboard right so bangs and bumps and cracks and scratches they used to break my heart they still kind of do but not as much
0: you got to come to terms with it. yeah if you're collecting to play you got to stop worrying about your games get played (laughs) yeah I, i we we have a friend who like once it gets a board game
1: removes all the components puts them in like plastic plano kind of boxes leaves the box on the shelf the box never leaves the house because this way he wants to have a pristine box again completely valid yeah but again he found a way to get his game played because the value of the game was both the aesthetic beauty of it but also the gameplay element to me for me personally I would never do that because I feel like it's separating the game from the game but again take the time take the moment take a breath look at your collection ask yourself honestly, why am I collecting this? Where does it bring me value personally? What do I like about it? And I think if you can connect with that, you will make more intelligent purchases in the future because it's based around really what you want the games to be and or do instead of like the explicit value that people are telling you that a game is great or a game is costly
0: right. or something like that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so like... Again, some of the vo- advice we had earlier about like don't just buy things because other people tell you they're good. 100% agree. Yeah. Right? Like find a way to check it out. Make sure you, at least you understand why you are buying it. And yes. if the reason you're buying it is because it's the hotness and you feel like you could own the new games, which we've been there. Don't we I mean we still have the podcast so that still happens, but Yeah, there's FOMO. Do that. There's FOMO, there's
1: hotness, there's things like that. I mean, this is honestly and you all of you who are listening know this from the podcast for so many years is that That's primarily, at least for me, Anthony, I know for you in a lot of ways too. It's been the primary reason we've done the podcast is because we have purchased so many games and had so many bad game experiences that we wanted to let people know what good purchases are, what they should look at, what they might find interesting. But again, to make their own decisions.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, so we got a couple minutes left and I said I would give you all the advice in the world on culling. Oh boy. Um... No, no, no.
1: (laughs) No, no, I thought we were safe. I thought we were out of here.
0: So the thing about culling is... Two things. One, we all have limited space eventually, right? Unless you're going to go rent storage and just start filling it up with games. Yeah, I don't know anyone who ever did
1: that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Like 2,000 games in a storage locker or yeah. something.
0: <laughs> well, I have a storage locker right now that has like 400 games in it because yeah. my basement's empty. But, um, But at the same time, I think it's important to maybe every year, every two years, to go through your collection. And don't look, again... What are your values? Don't look at it as what am I playing? Because that's yes. you're not going to play everything you own every year. That's nope. super hard. Unless you have a small collection, in which, good for you, you have more power than I do. Um, but if you own several hundred games, or even if you only own 100 but you don't play every week, or even if you only own 50 and don't play every week, you're not going to play everything all the time. And if you get down that road where you feel like you have to, you're going to be playing a lot of games you don't want to play because you're like, well, oh, i got to make sure I play this this year so I don't get rid of it. Like You're making up rules for yourself. But what you should do is look at Is this a game I will play in the future? Who will I play it with? Does it bring me value for some other reason? Like, am I going to paint it someday? Is this going to go on my shelf? This is something I like to share with people. Like, ask those questions about everything in your collection. And honestly, if you can go through that whole list and you're still like, I don't know why this is here. Or like, oh, I mean to play this someday. I don't know this is here. Then it's maybe something you can get rid of, right? And so it might be games like, I have other games that I'd rather play than this mechanically. It could be this game. I've outgrown it thematically. It could be, I thought I would play it with these people, and now I don't. Um, I had a lot of games I bought to play with the family, and the family doesn't like them, so I got rid of them. (laughs) Like, There's no reason to keep those if the family's not going to play them. Or maybe they like them, but it's it's hard to get to the table. Um, So ask yourself those questions. And if you don't have restrictions on space, and if you don't have a need to remove things, then don't feel obligated to remove things. Again, we don't have to play everything you own if there's other reasons you own it. Um, if you only own games to play them, then that's a separate conversation. You can have that thing. you like, am I playing this or not? But that's the mental space I try to get into now because otherwise I'm just like, I don't think I'm going to play this anytime soon. Ugh. <laughs> you know, and then I, I feel like I have to get rid of it, but I don't want to. My favorite game, War of the Ring, I play it once a year if I'm lucky, maybe twice, but I'm never getting rid of that. So. I think maybe instead of the word calling, we should use the word um,
1: curing. Yeah. And that it should be thought of as like, for lack of, again, a lack of a better term for the board game, it's a fine line, right? Like, you've built a collection, you know, that you have a your board game, these game games have value, you know, how valuable they are. And again, that's a reflection of yourself, instead of like, I have on the board and there's value in here, and the chat will as well. So, maybe not emotionally think of it as, like, getting rid of stuff that has some value to Find the most important value that's based upon your own needs and expectations of what is valuable. So I have taken all of these great games that I've had, I have, you know, curated down to this particular collection that has a lot of value, whether it's getting game played, where it's whether it's beautiful, whether it's aesthetic, whether it's part of a collection, whatever it might be, that curation I think is is also possibly a part of the fun process absolutely alright everyone so this is us for this week until next time this is Chris and this is Anthony and we'll save you all a see at the table take care everyone bye everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time